0: Music. Reviews.
1: Chat.
2: Poems.
3: Comedy. Writing. Interviews.
1: ELFM.
2: It's radio for so much
1: more.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Red Kite.
4: Hello, Saren it's red kite indeed i'm peter um and uh yeah red kite is a show about and for by young people sarah have you been uh, presenting on red kite before
0: yeah i did for some project and i've been doing it for quite a while now
4: yeah i could tell a professional and uh, the first item we're going to hear is something that you were involved in. Tell us a bit about it.
0: Yes, so we did an interview with an artist named Jimmy Andrex, who is performing at the Chapel FM Musicathon.
4: Absolutely, we're going to hear that interview in a minute, but just to give you a little preview of what we've got. Oh, we've got some wonderful stuff. An an interview with um, the Union uh, artist activists and Adrian Sinclair about the Fellowship of Questions, a, a, a project that uh, that reaches out across Europe and asks questions. We'll hear more about that. And we'll also have an interview from the musicians and Sean with Nervous Twitch, the band, plus tracks and some associated uh, associate writers writing some interesting stuff about spells, casting spells, about keys. So first of all, Jimmy Andrex.
5: there are jewels in the crown of england's glory and every jewel shines a thousand ways algorithms and masochism and brompton bikes tyson fury trial by jury private eye Chris Nimbo's Arms, and de- hi
0: everyone i'm Saren, and i'm with the next generation foundation group and we're into with jamie Andrews. so it's. What's the day in the
5: life of Jimmy Andrex? That's really interesting. Um, quite, I'm very lucky uh, because you get to be Jimmy all the time now. Um, me and Peter are big fans of a writer called Clive James who died well, uh, this year, this year, last year. Um, and he, he, was, he used to be on telly a lot in the 80s and 90s, but he was a brilliant poet. Um, he uh, collaborated on songwriting, he could do comedy, he did TV, he did TV criticism in The Observer for about 20 years and reinvented TV criticism. And I, I think he's a brilliant inspiration to anybody who wants to be a writer. And he had a phrase, he talked about um, running in all directions at once. There's this thing, I think we get from the education system where unless you specialize, you will die um well actually in in the creative sense and in broadcasting sense no because the more things you do the more people you meet and the more opportunities might crop up so in in short being jimmy involves getting out of bed in the morning um doing the pg woodhouse thing apply seat of pants to chair and then um running in all directions at once So before all of that sounds exhausting,
0: when did you actually write your first poem?
5: Ah, oh, blimey, I was about 11, but it was rubbish. (laughs) Um, But that's not a problem. I've been writing things for a very, very long time. Um, And I used to write poems as a kid, but I didn't tell anybody because I don't want to over dramatize um my background because i thought it was relatively benign but uh admitting you wrote poetry were a bit like admitting to being some sort of offender um when i was growing up and so and i didn't know anybody that wrote poetry um and i used to write poetry and plays my dad used to acquire i think that's the right word from work huge typewriters and i used to be banging away on these massive typewriters built like tanks like little plays and stuff but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know anybody. And that's why I think it's brilliant what chapel does because you get introduced to people who are doing stuff. One of the reasons I never did it properly until I was quite old is because I didn't know anybody who did it. And like I said, I not dare admit it. You didn't want to tell people at work because you thought they might take Mickey out of you or worse say, and if you're a poet, the worst thing is, is when someone happens and they go, Oh, we can write a poem about that. And you go, no, you know, you don't, you know so um uh I was, yeah about 10 or 11 um but poetry at school were just you had to write an answer to a question in an exam but i was introduced to some really really good stuff when i were about there were two writers who particularly made me sit up and take notice one was ted hughes who might have not been treated his women very well, but he wrote really interesting poetry. I had to study him for A-Level and I really liked it because I'd never seen poetry do that before. And the other one who's still going was um, Attila the Stockbroker, the ranting punk poet, terrible term, I know, but he was then. Um, and I just thought he were great because I used to read about him in um, NME and sounds and stuff. So they gave me a, a template to sort of try and follow really. Um, but basically um, uh, I don't think you can write very well until you've read a lot because number one how do you know that what you're doing is (laughs) original because somebody else might have done it but if you that's the thing about education the right sort of education and learning is that if you try and do something original how do you know it's original unless you've read lots or seen lots and that's why you know taking things in nourishment is, is really important so I didn't get to write anything I'd dare read in public until I'd read quite a bit. We know that
4: uh, you're a poet, a former teacher, musician. um, With that education and teaching, did you ever have a mentor that encouraged you and uh, what inspired you to do what you do today?
5: That's interesting. Um, John Irving Clark, who I used to work with, um, I worked in Castleford um, for a long time. I used to work with him there. He actually bullied me into starting reading poetry in public um so he, he, he's been a very big long encouragement to me but what i think it's interesting what makes you do it why the hell do we do it um i think it were just sort of uh, to be desperation and actually a period where i want very well in my head um some might say we're still there peter's looking but um, I was having a bad time, and I was encouraged to sort of do something creative, as part of therapy. So I went, "Oh, I write all this stuff," and, sh- and this therapist went, "Oh, we should do it more." And all oh, right then. Um, so, but uh, but actually, um, you know, it's that um, you, know, you only get one life, sort of thing as well. And as you get older, you think, "Well, hang on a minute." Um, I'd, I, used to, I used to be, as I say used to be. I, I've, I've been a musician a long time, but not a very good one. Um, and that were fun uh, but it wasn't anything you'd say to your grandkids on your deathbed, you know so you, you're always trying to do something worthwhile I think as well, that's a big driver Heritage Railways Damp Bank Holidays, Toffs in Pumps Tolkien, Rolling, Bacon Rolls Match of the Day and Crown Green Bowls David Attenborough, Mary Stokes, LBW, Antiques Roadshow Wallace and Gromit and Custard Creams Rugby League and Iron. Pian- that that time,
4: do you think um, that almost uh, made you realise what you wanted to do in life, and 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 would say that that you're grateful that you went through that experience? that it helped you to do what you do today?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. because because um, I mean, one of me one of my jobs um, I used to do, um, I would had a sixth form in, in a school in Bradford, and so part of your job were telling all these kids what to do with the lives from age of about 11, which is a bit grim, really. And I was always aware that that were, you know, all these teachers saying, if you don't pass maths, then you'll never amount to anything. You'll you'll dissolve on contact with air or something. Um And they we were sending all these kids to university. It was like sending them off to Russian front in World War Two. really. They didn't really want to go. They didn't know why they were there. And it was costing them about 30,000 quid um, at, 2010 prices. So um, I, w- I was conscious to tell kids um, that I were dealing with, look, you know, um, we've, we're lucky. We live in a society where we, we, our, our physical needs, thank, thank God, are well met. We're not going to starve to death. Uh, we might not be fed very well, but we're not going to starve to death. Um, we can usually have a roof over our heads, although for a lot of people that is an increasing problem so actually telling loads of kids that you need this and you need that is pointless if it's not linked to well actually also what do you want to do because you're, you're gonna if you're gonna get a job you're gonna work for a hell of a long time um so if you're not liking it what what, what else are you you know you living to work so you can live to work or you know do you work to live and so um there was a brilliant there's a brilliant video that, that anyone can look up on the youtube which um is called what if money were no object? And it's this philosopher guy, and he's, 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 it's a thing he gives to students. And of course, there's lots of motivational-looking pictures so of people climbing things and gliding and all that sort of usual clichéd nonsense. But it's a really good question. If money were no object, what would you want to do with your life? And um, uh, I don't know whether the kids took any notice, but I did. And so um, it were. It, it's that really that you know. Um, what 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 sort of thing do you want to do with your life? I remember being aged about 17 and um, I'd, <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd filled in, what they, they called it UC, uh, UCA then, it's UCAS forms for doing law. And I realized I didn't want to be a solicitor. The, well, that was the day before I was supposed to hand the form and you'd wrote it in pen in them days you want online. And I suddenly went, mm, I don't fancy sitting in an office all day. I want to do something else. So I did do something else. Mind you, it was the wrong degree, but still. <laughs> I did I, I did our uh, languages. I did um, French, Spanish and German. Uh, and I realised at age 44 I should have done English, but there you are. You can't have everything, can you? Um,
0: what are you going to be doing in the musicathon?
5: Uh, I've got um, about eight poems to music. One of the things I do, I do poems to music. I use a looper and... Um, uh electronica and stuff and I do poems to music. <laughs> um my notebook's not here. But I've been there's about uh, I've got to fine-tune the rehearsal uh for timings but it's um I'll be sat I won't be sat I'll be stood here with my looper and my microphone and do the they like songs except I can't sing so I just talk Sorry, it's poetry to music. I should say, isn't it? Um, and doing them really. Yeah. Um, thanks for your good answers. Um, is there any uh, social media or any um, anywhere people can find you? Anywhere the listeners can find you if they like Ooh, what you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Jimmy Andrex on Bandcamp. Uh, with all me, all the stuff, the stuff, the sort of thing I'll be doing on the musicathon is on the Bandcamp. Um, Site, it's just Jimmy Andrex Bandcamp. Um, uh, there's a SoundCloud page, same name, um, which has all sorts of bits and bats. Um, it's where you sort of store things that don't fit anywhere else. There's quite a lot of episodes of Radio Free Kinsley on that. Um, uh, Facebook and Twitter, uh, I hate them. So I just sort of communicate with people on that. Mainly it's Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Um, I've not been able to get into my website for a while because of a password problem, so my, my website's a lot out of date, to be honest. But it's all there on Bandcamp, kids, and it's free. Thanks for talking with us, Jimmy, and good luck with your music, upon. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure um, listening and talking to all of you. I'm sorry I talk so much. I should listen to you really.
6: journey back home I took the less frequented path and ended up in the meadow of consolation it was a magical place I half expected a nymph to appear shyly from out of the brake. some not unexpected sheep from the brushwood and me dressed as a dandy in practice for the summer eight even the glebe cow started to drool but then almost inevitably, Claire appeared.
4: That was a track called Tending the Wrong Grave for 23 Years by Half Man Half Biscuit, which happens to be Jimmy Andrex's favourite band. He chose that track and we have played it. So thank you very much, the Foundation Group, for interviewing uh, Jimmy there. And look out for Jimmy in the Musicathon, which comes up very soon. A couple of weekends time, we'll be giving you some more information further down the line about that. So, in this virtual studio, because we are still uh, broadcasting from different homes, houses from around Leeds, masterminded by Elliot in Seacroft. We have um, Saren, hello Saren, are you still there?
0: Hello.
4: And we have Joaria, hello Joaria. Um, sorry
7: something is
4: wrong with the uh, thing. Okay. okay. Or come
7: Nothing
4: come. Ali- okay. Good. Are you, you're there then, are you? <laughs> Good. Good to have you here with us. And we have Johan. Hello, Johan. Hi. Yeah. So, Johan, you were part of the the group that interviewed Jimmy Andrex the other evening. Did you enjoy doing that? Yeah. Yeah. What was good about it?
8: Uh, his responses to our questions.
4: Yeah. They were funny, weren't they? And also very interesting and perceptive. But good questions too, Johan. Really good. Are you enjoying being in the foundation group, Johan?
9: Yeah, What's I What's best about it?
4: What's good about it? Uh, I'm
9: being able to socialise with a lot more people.
4: Well, this is a good thing at this time of uh, at this time uh, of our history, is it not? Is that's a good thing to be able to socialise, and that's one of the reasons we do it, bringing people together. Someday soon, we'll be able to get in Chapel FM all together, face to face. Not yet. One day. Um, coming up in Red Kite, we have all sorts of wonderful things. Next up is an interview with Adrian Sinclair about. Um, Fellowship of Questions. Joaria, you were part of that interview. Yes. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about, about what, what we can expect.
7: So it was so it was an interview and we asked Adrian a lot of different questions and what it was like being part of the Fellowship of Questions. So it's basically like you ask a lot of questions and get like you no know, response, just like a lot of different questions back from it.
4: Gosh, so you were asking Adrian questions about the Fellowship of Questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot, a lot of questions. Um, well, we're going to hear that interview now. Uh, so, Adrian Sinclair with Joaria uh, and her friends talking about the Fellowship of Questions.
2: Why can't a mouse eat a streetcar? Why, oh, why, oh, why? Because a mouse's stomach could never hold big enough to hold a streetcar Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye Why does a horn make music? Why, oh, why, oh, why? Because the horn blower blows it Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye Why does a cow drink water? Tell me why and why? Because a cow gets thirsty just like you or me or anybody else Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye Oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh Why, oh, why, oh, why Because, 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 because Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye Why don't you answer my question Why, oh, why, oh, why Because I don't know the answer Answers. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Land... How far do our thoughts really
8: matter to each other? If they are most of them are quite literally tiny synapses firing for about two seconds in our brain. They're literally just neuroscience.
10: And and what would it be like if you if if as an answer to that question you just got more questions?
8: It'd probably be interesting and we'd be so far down a spiral of questions I'd forget the original answer.
10: Yeah. Because that's a, that's what we started from, was the idea that we're living in a world where everybody thinks they've got an answer to everything, but nobody seems to be able to solve lots of things and make sense of lots of things. So rather than asking questions and demanding or expecting answers, that if we just kept asking questions, it would be quite interesting. You'll be some of the first people in Europe to try out the Fellowship of Questions. So this is a new project, and there are people in in Romania, in Sicily, in, in Italy, um, in Serbia, in Berlin, in Germany, who are also doing projects, or will be in the next few weeks. But we're the first ones to start it. So next week, when we run the workshop, we'll be really looking at those questions, and then seeing... What answers we might get from across Europe, which is the idea. Or what questions? Because we won't get answers, we'll get more questions. Why, oh, why,
2: oh, why? I don't know that one myself. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Why is there no pennies for ice cream? Why, oh, why, oh, why? Put all the pennies in the telephone.
7: Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Why can't a rabbit chase an eagle? Tell me why, you oh want So today, um, we're excited to welcome Adrian to Red Kite for an interview.
10: Hi, you Ariane?
7: Hi. And I'm also joined by a few other Next Gen broadcasters. So I'm joined by Harry, um, Doss, um Abby, and... James. What is the Fellowship
11: of Questions?
10: A good question. I don't know. Is the is the strange but true answer? It's an idea. Uh, it's an idea that we developed with people in different countries across Europe, um, and we were worried that lots of people across Europe have questions have worries but don't necessarily well they get answers to them but the answers are often opposing answers they're not they they close things down so what we were, we thought was wouldn't it be interesting to find a way of being able to ask open questions and get people from all across europe from teenagers in leeds to grannies in bulgaria to answer the questions. And that was the idea. We just wanted to do something around that. And now we've got some time to play with the idea and you'll be some of the per- first people who will help us down that route.
4: Well, an interesting question I've had is, um, who, who was the first person to actually have these thoughts of not being able to answer it, but having more questions to finally you know, keep going with it? Do you know what I mean?
10: I read a book a few years ago called uh, the interrogative mood okay which means the questioning mood it's a book where every sentence in the whole book is a question so and every single sentence in the whole book is a question which felt really weird to sort of have that because you kind of thought well that will just get boring or dull or how can it be a story but it is a story um, and we were talking about just this idea that we, we desperately want answers at the moment. And there's a group of us, so five of us in our group, from the Netherlands, from Italy, from Romania, from, Romania, from Portugal, from Serbia and ourselves, on Zoom, just like you are. Um, we were supposed to be, it was June last year, and we were supposed to have been on a visit to Serbia. And instead of that, we were sat at home on our computers and we were talking about this idea and it came up. It was like, well, what if you could ask questions, but actually all you got more back were more questions from other people? How would that feel? So nobody was allowed to answer the question, but just ask more questions. So it came a little bit from... Having read a book and been been going around in my brain for a few years, and then just having this conversation with some other people, and they kind of went, "That would be really interesting. How would that work?" And that's that's how it started. You may know that uh, our country has decided to leave the European Union at the end of December, so we're you know and almost have nothing to do with our neighbours. And for me, I kind of want to have something to do with our neighbours. I think it's really important. And I think it's really important for communities to sort of find out and learn from other people in other places. So it's great that we do loads of stuff in Seacroft, but you know why shouldn't Seacroft be linked with um, some grannies in Romania? And a few years ago, we took some young people from Seacroft to Japan and they learned so much. And I think it's really important to have those connections. And we'd love to take more young people to other places. And we went to the Netherlands. We've done lots of different things over the years. At the moment, no one can travel anywhere. So it started with the idea, well, we can't travel, but can we still make those links?
7: Do you think there'll be any specific questions being asked?
10: It is interesting. We've talked about it a lot. And I, you know, again, I don't know, because I think what we want to do in the end is create a platform, like a website, where anybody could go and ask any questions. And we immediately start to think about what if they ask the wrong questions? Or what if they're rude? Or what if what if they're just not appropriate? Or what if they're very practical? So what if someone just says, how do I make my computer work? You know, and, and there are, are there questions that are better to ask Google or Alexa than there are to ask the fellowship of questions. So, but I think what we just want to do is try and see what happens. And we did it ourselves as a group and with the group of people that, that met, and it it felt really interesting. But but this is really the time to sort of try something well, out. How,
7: how does it feel being a part of something really big like
10: this? It's a good question. It I mean it feels A bit scary because there's part of me that goes, this might be a rubbish idea and it really doesn't work and then I'll feel stupid. But also it does feel quite exciting and quite nice to do something and be able to offer something, particularly at the moment, to offer sort of an exciting opportunity to people um, and to try and make it work. And I've really enjoyed as well just being able at a time when I spend most of my, even my working time at home um, to be able to talk with people in other countries, and they're really interesting people, um, has actually been quite nice. So, yeah, I'm excited, but I am nervous as well.
11: If the Fellowship of Questions did become a super successful website, what would you end up doing?
10: Mm, Smiling. I'd be quite happy. I mean, I I think it's one of those things that you kind of want other people to own it. You know, for me, it's like, and I suppose that's a a lot of the things with my work. You know, it's like in the same way that, um, I don't know how much you know, but I started off Chapel FM and I started off East Leeds FM and I started, you know, all those sorts of things. And I'm quite happy to leave them and pass them on. The exciting bit for me is to develop something that's of interest to other people and that works. And that's a great feeling to do something. And that means that you try lots of things and some things work and some things don't work, but it's actually the nice thing is almost to pass them on. So you leave it for other people. So, so the, the real feeling of achievement is this, this takes off so that nobody kind of knows that it might have been my idea at the beginning because it's taken off in lots of different directions and lots of people own it.
7: Do you think this could be successful in other countries?
10: In the other countries they're trying it seem to I mean and we've got lots of questions about because we don't want it to just be in English. It's a funny thing at the moment but in Europe certainly working together English is the language that that most people use but to for a lot of people who use English as a second language in the same way that I say I know French and I'm quite good at speaking French but when I want to talk about things that are really important or quite difficult or complicated I struggle to talk in a second language so we're talking about how can we do this so that if you ask a question in English somebody in Serbia can respond in Serbian. During
7: Covid are there any other like really big ideas that um, that came on, but because of just that, were inspired by this project?
10: I mean, during COVID, I mean, as you know, we started, uh, you know, at, at ELFM at Chapel FM, we started broadcasting locally all the time, you know, every day for for three months. So I think you know because some people couldn't get out of their houses because of the lockdown and everything. So I think you you again even with something like covid you have to think of new ways of working together that's the important thing and i think again this is a different way of working together which we we may never have thought about if i'd have actually been able to go to Rijeka in croatia and sit on the beach oh can you imagine going to a beach um but but because we were in this zoom space and working on this platform called miro which i'm going to show you and we'll work on which is a, a like this giant whiteboard then we thought oh well actually how could this work for other people so you you kind of you again it's that creative thing you've got to come up with ideas about what but what's happening at the moment
11: if you received a question on the website that was worrying like of a person's mental health
10: yeah
11: how would you respond
10: it's a really interesting question because there's all sorts of um, questions when we create the platform and that probably won't be for another year or so but is is do we moderate it do we is there somebody who's overseeing what's there or do you actually kind of you know what happens when somebody comes up with something worrying or what happens if somebody's offensive about something you know those sorts of questions and we don't know yet we I would love to feel that there was a community of people who would be able to respond and that people take responsibility themselves for being part of that. But I don't know, there's part of me that thinks that would be great, and there's part of me that thinks that's madness, because look at some of the other things that happen on social media and all those sorts of things. So how could we create something that's different? So we'll see. So like, over the
7: course of like, this year, there's been a lot of bad things happening this year. Like, the, like, there's been quite a lot happening, like the Black Lives Matter like, Act, how has um, uh, this project uh, reacted to that?
10: Again, I think it's that idea that even with something like Black Lives Matter, which is really important, but are we, you know, again, it was one of those where it became two camps again. There's people who really believe strongly in it, and there are people who really think it's terrible and what people were doing. So I think for us, it's trying to say, well, what about the middle ground? Can we find ways of of getting people to talk to each other and if people can't answer with answers they can only answer with questions it's much harder to sort of say no you're wrong absolutely this is what the right thing is I was thinking this about something that might make sense to you so I was thinking about a question like you know something when you if you if you ask the question uh what what um what options should I take for my GCSEs and some people will say to you you should do this, you should do the arts, or you should, sciences are really important, or you've got to do English and maths, or, you know, that sort of thing. But other people might say, what's important to you? Or what do you actually like doing? Or is there a career that you're thinking of going down that might make you think about your choices? And those are all questions to respond. So I think that's my sort of idea, or the idea of this project, is that actually... Asking people to consider themselves makes them think more deeply themselves about the question. And something like Black Lives Matter is really important that we think really deeply about what that means to people. So that's, that's for us how I think it fits in.
11: Um, a follow-up thing from um, that Black Lives Matter question. If a person was to ask questions such as, like, um, what way would be suitable to come out to my mum or something like that, a person in the LGBT community questioning whether or not or how they can do things around. Do you think there would be a way for anyone of like part of the community that was also on the like fellowship of some sort to be able to come and talk to them?
10: I think it's, it's an interesting one because, of course, if, if somebody asked that question, if you went down fellowship of questions rules, you couldn't say yes or no. You could only ask them another question. And I think that would actually, it might be incredibly frustrating because I think that's the thing, is if somebody really, really wants an answer, and there are times we want answers in our lives, but, <laughs> but if, if the question you get back is, is well, how, how do you think that would feel? Do you know what I mean? It's like you, it's a really valid question, but it's not telling you one way or the other. It's actually saying it's something like that. It is your decision, and you need to think deeply about it. So, so yeah, so I think, again, it's, these are just things we have to play with and see what happens and be, be careful with people because it's, you know, it could be quite exposing or it could be anonymous, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, I think it would be interesting to see. So we'll, we're just going to sort of just – this is why we've got this round of trials, um, this is where we start, and then we do another four rounds of trials before we actually even start thinking about how the website might
4: work.
8: Why does the fellowship of questions sound like some form of really happy cult?
4: (laughs) It's funny
10: because Diana, who's a woman from Romania, does amazing work, and she said... I always wanted to be in a project that was called a fellowship. <laughs> I don't know why. I never, I should have said to her, why do you want to be in a project that was called a fellowship? I can't even remember how it came up. Obviously, questions was part of it. But it was, it, it felt like maybe it is a, a happy cult. Maybe that's not a bad thing. If we had a happy cult of people who just wanted to carry on asking questions of each other, I would be, I would be quite happy. I think that would be a really healthy thing.
12: I have a question. Does a question responding to a question need to be made up of, you know, words and sentences, or could it take the form of a picture or a piece of music, or even a, I don't know, mathematical formula? Even.
10: Yeah. No. Exactly. We we have talked about this. It, it, absolutely. We would like it to be able to do that. And I know in terms of a, uh, uh, we start to get very complicated in terms of what we're asking from a website. But we, we did say, and we have sort of trialed things where you are able to answer in different ways. So it would be to be able to use any of those things would be a great, great way. Mm-hmm. How you make sure that the, that the um, picture or the piece of music is, is not an answer but still a question is an yeah. interest.
12: Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. Are certain pictures questions, whereas other pictures are answers? Oh, yes,
10: yes. Yeah. So I don't know, but again, we have to play. I think it's so important, anything that you do is to play, is to try things out, to see where things go.
8: What would you do if someone really, really badly wanted an answer to a question, but you're technically sort of not allowed to give them one? And therefore, is it ever hard to to really want to give someone the answer to a question that you know is the fact-checked answer, but you can't respond with an answer?
10: Well, I think, I, I mean, first of all, it's like, it's that interesting idea of if it was someone who was really bad. So whether you're thinking about, is it is it the person who's bad or is it the question that's bad? And secondly, again, it's that thing of like, I'm not going to give them a fact-checked answer. Right? I can only give them a question. So so it'd be interesting to sort of try it out with what we thought were bad questions or those sorts of things and how you could, how you could come back with that. Because
8: I imagine people are going to get quite frustrated with the idea that all they're going to get back is questions
10: it's possible it's entirely possible and then we have to decide yeah but but it's interesting when we tried it out we didn't feel frustrated when we did it ourselves with the question and got lots of different answers because it felt like actually people were um really respecting us by, by coming up with all these different ideas and presenting them back to us to think about, back to me to think about. So I didn't feel frustrated, but I still think that's maybe because I like thinking. I like all that sort of stuff. And I think there might, you know, for people who just want an answer, um, I think. And and we talked about whether whether it was important to know who gave me the answer. Do I want to know... That actually that answer came from a granny in Bulgaria or it came from uh, a teenager who spends all their time doing video games in Portugal. Do you know what I mean? Does it make a difference to me to understand where they were? So all I'm going to give you back is lots more questions. (laughs) And I think that's how we're doing it. It's almost like the whole fellowship of questions process is actually by just keeping on asking questions until we kind of go, right, this is where we're going to go with it. Do you think it's
12: one possible outcome is that the person who asked the question, the original question, after they've received lots of questions, might themselves decide that they've settled on their own answer and that they might share that answer somehow?
10: It's possible. I mean, whether they need to share it or not, you know, because I think other people will take different things from the questions. But it certainly feels like when you get lots of questions, it makes you think, you know, and therefore you do come in and sort of think, well, thank you for those questions. And for me, this is where it's going. And some of the questions, you know, Autumn said about coming out or, you know, the things about Black Lives Matters, and those, those sorts of things. You think, well, this will give you a way of thinking through your own questions. But you have to take responsibility for that. We'll see. Let's try it. Oh, because,
2: because, because Why ain't my grandpa my grandma why, oh, why, oh, why? Same reason your dad is not your mommy. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Why couldn't the wind blow backwards? Why, oh, why, oh, why? Cause it might backfire and have a wreck and hurt somebody. It might hurt somebody and get them all hurt. And that's why goodbye, 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 goodbye. Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? And why, oh, why, and why? Because, 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 goodbye, goodbye, goodbye.
7: People, to the people, you're listening to East Leeds FM.
13: Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe.
14: That Was Yesterday by The Beatles and you're listening to Red Kite Radio. Uh, I'm Ashton and I'm with the Youth Music Show. I like that song as I have quite a few nice memories of that song with me and my friend when we listen to it. Um, I'm here today with uh, Shan, the leader of the Next Gen Music Group.
15: Hello, how are you doing?
14: I'm doing good, how are you Sean?
15: I'm good, I'm good. So, yeah, it was a good choice of track, was that? I really like that. I think it um, probably invokes quite a few memories for a few people, does that. So, yeah, good choice. Um, yeah, we've been doing a few things on the music show, haven't we, really? The the music group. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did we do this week? We've been doing a bit of theory, haven't we, as well? How did, Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
14: Um, we were doing, like... We were like doing like a dance as well as like kind of like try to do like a, a clap to like the one, two, three, four and and in between mm, as well. It, it was yeah. tricky,
15: wasn't it? I yeah. struggled with that. I've got two left feet though, me. I don't know about you.
14: <laughs> yeah, I found it a bit hard to do it at first.
15: Uh, yeah, it's good though. I think dancing really gets you kind of gets the rhythm in your body. That's what it was saying, wasn't it? You get the rhythm in your body and then it's just there kind of naturally when you're playing. So I found that quite useful, really. Um, yeah, what else, yeah. What else have we been doing?
14: Um, earlier, uh, we interviewed a Leeds-based group called Nervous Twitch.
15: Ah, that's right. So that's going to be coming up next. It's um yeah, they're a great band based in Leeds. They're um it's like sixties garage kind of music, uh really good. Um and they're about to release a new single called All Right Lads. So um yeah, I actually joined in with the filming of the single, which was really good fun because I had to wear a Hulk Hogan mustache. I don't know if you can imagine that, um but yeah, it was really really fun doing that so it'll be really exciting when that comes out um so yeah this is the the interview that the next gen music group did with nervous twitch
9: welcome to the youth music sean red kite radio i am part of the next gen music group and we will be interviewing the Leeds-based band nervous twitch hello
3: hi
16: hello there we're just gonna ask you a question to start off with how did both of you get into music in the first place and a uh, little side note on that. Did you originally train in this style or did you train in a different style?
3: I think we're both going to have completely different answers to this. So I think we're probably both going to have to answer. So you go first, Jay. I, I've, I started as a teenager.
16: So, sort of, I guess, like grunge and punk and sort of 60s pop was always kind of what I listened to anyway. So that's kind of the style I've kind of veered towards. And I've been in more, previous to this band, I was in more punkier, a more punkier band, I guess. And But I've, I've done various styles um, over the years, in, like playing guitar or, or keyboards, maybe. But, um, yeah, I've always just been a fan of the kind of music that we make, really. But I've been playing since I was maybe 13 or 14.
3: I think you've always kind of been in bands and that's always the type of music you've done and through for sixth form up until, like, your late, early 20s. And then yeah. it's just kind of... With me, it was a little bit different. I was always a music fan, so I was just obsessed with... Go and see bands. When I was a teenager, my walls were covered in posters. They still are, now I'm in my thirties. <laughs> um, and then when I met Jay, um, I never really picked up an instrument, but I always wanted to learn how to play the drums. And I, I said that to Jay and one of his friends was like, oh, we've got a drum kit you can have. So they gave me a drum kit and I just taught myself how to play drums. And then at the time that was, there was a drummer in Jay's band, which was actually the very beginnings of this band we're in now. Um, his girlfriend um, got pregnant and they decided they were going to move to Florida where their family were living. And I think I've been playing drums for about a month. And Jay was like, please, will really you help me out and join my band? And so I just thought I was joining it, playing the drums. And then, like so many years later, I'm, I've got a few different instruments under my belt and a lot of touring and releasing and recording, even writing. I never used to write songs. So, and I guess the style of music, I've just a similar sort of thing. I've always been interested in sort of punk and garage and that sort of thing and that's the kind of thing i've always just wanted always followed and always been interested in doing so
9: um your new release um tom twist um what was that about how, how did you come to make the song as the band what, what was it about
16: Tongue Tied, it's called, yeah. It's just kind of about the contradictions in life and um, just kind of questioning things yourself, really. Um, and it's just a lot of play on words at the same time.
3: Uh, Something I found interesting was um, Jay and I, when we discussed songwriting, he always says the phrase, I always find writing the music much easier than words. And then when he brought the song to the table, that was actually one of the lyrics. And I, for me, I thought that's really cool that you kind of, how we discuss Songwriting—it's kind of ended up being as part of one of our songs. So
16: yeah, so it's just—it's just questioning things in life in general, I guess, really. And as Erin said, I I put that in there. I can always—I guess I was just playing the guitar and I was thinking, I've always got so much to say, but I I guess I can't think of anything now. And that came off in the the separate lyric. And then um, again, playing with uh, uh, using that line about always—I always finding that music comes easier than words—and that fit into the song as well. It's just about sort of contradictions and sort of the mystery of life in a way I suppose but but put to a, to a pop free card uh, major chord melody
9: <laughs> uh, I, well, honestly I kind of find it the same. I've, I've always found music a lot easier than making lyrics. I've never been good. Was it ever since you were a kid that you just generally liked? the music more than the writing part of the song and the lyrics, or did it change? Or like...
16: Actually, I've done both for a long time, lyrics and music, and I don't find lyrics so so difficult. But I suppose music is the one thing that I'm always interested in, trying out different things, different, different scales, different chord progressions. So I guess the music is my, my first interest, but I've always found writing lyrics relatively easy as well.
14: Um like what create like what um events led up to the creation of the band
3: well i guess i kind of briefly touched on that earlier so um it was i think a very very originally jay was in another band and he just had this kind of side project to kind of make something a little bit different to what they were doing and then over the years it has evolved so I guess that was sort of something that Jay used to do with a couple of different people that are now aren't in the band, just with a keyboard and a, I don't think you even had a drummer. And then it kind of just, you just decided it'd be fun to play a few gigs. And then, like I mentioned earlier about someone, the person they got on the drums and decided to move country. So then that's when I came in. And originally, I played bass guitar now. um, Originally, I was the drummer. I think, how long was playing drums for? About a year? Hmm. About a year. And then we made a decision... Um, I started singing a lot more and we were struggling to find a bass player so we thought it might be a wise move to move me onto a melodic instrument to kind of help. I guess if we had a rotating drummer it's a bit easier to teach them the drums than it is to kind of teach them on a melody and whatnot of the songs. So we kind of made that decision and I think that's kind of when the band took a turning point and that's kind of when we kind of became who we are now and then eventually we found Ash, our drummer and then that's kind of how we became...
9: group we are now would you say Mm -hmm. yeah um I mean especially with COVID-19 happening um oh I mean not just COVID-19 just generally um through your career as you know being part of a band have you had any struggles anything that just generally made it really difficult also is there anything that you plan on doing after COVID-19
16: yeah, so I suppose barriers for the COVID nineteen. Because we're a free piece, we haven't faced them that much at the moment because it's just me and Aaron, and the drummer. Um, I guess
3: what Jay means is we live together, so we're and we we kind of write the songs, so we're kind of lucky in a sense that some bands might be separate, whereas we live together, so we're it's already two thirds of the band in one yeah. bubble. So,
16: but but some current barriers that we are facing is now it's we're extending the lockdown and we're probably not going to be able to practice with the drummer. The music that we've been making during the sort of period when we could catch up in the summer and uh, before the before the lockdown, we're hoping to record that in January. So um, I suppose the barrier that we're facing is we may not be able to get together to, to rehearse that material. Uh, you, you I guess know, it
3: makes the, the process a little bit more drawn out. So normally we're quite quick with working and we used to, we're generally, for example, last year we played, I think, f- about 50 gigs last year and this year we've only played three. So we were quite an active band, but we managed to keep up with the songwriting and, and releasing new material quite well. So we never really let the whole being active as playing gigs put barriers in, in between making new music. Um, but now the barrier is it's, we can't get together as often. So we're finding that when we do get together, maybe like we're not as fresh on the songs as we were. Um, so that's that's definitely something that COVID's done. I think I think for me, COVID is it's been a, a whirlwind of emotions. So initially, when we first went on lockdown, I was feeling quite inspired to write, and I had all these things going through my head. But I feel like it's worn down a little bit on my mental health recently. So I've been struggling to kind of inspired by things and feel the need to write. I guess the way I try and overcome that barrier a little bit is. nice thing about our band is we have two people that write so sometimes when I have a low point Jay has a high point and we kind of can work well that way. I've also been trying, not that great, but I've been trying to learn a bit of guitar and try and sort of focus on doing something different.
16: Is there any instruments that you wish you could play or that you would uh, want to learn in the future to incorporate into the band? Um, I wish that we
3: could clone me so I could play keyboards <laughs> maybe that would be good <laughs> that was always a joke we have in the band um, just because it's always it's always hard to find band members who can kind of fit into the routine especially when you're already established it's not as if we formed with someone um, but I guess personal. Person, I don't
16: know. What What would you want to well, learn? not not for the band necessarily, but I, I'd like to learn the drums just for just for fun. I'm not so good on the drums, but um, for the for the band side of things, um, we, we've got most things covered. I guess. I guess uh, if we was better at brass instruments or something maybe or yeah.
3: um,
16: like stringers in sort of cellos and things, but we've never really played them.
3: I think I think I think if I if I thought about it actually from the band's perspective I think I'd like to get I'd like to be amazing at just playing the keyboards I can kind of fumble my way around them because I kind of know the notes on their bass and whatnot so that would be kind of cool if I was amazing at playing them but I just think it's fan in the time <laughs> um I don't know that's that's quite an interesting question but on a, outside of the band I always think like it'd be really amazing to be some, really good at something like the bagpipes because it just looks so str- surreal to play <laughs> so I think if you could just say I could wake up one day and do something I think that'd be the most impressive
16: <laughs> I think the only problem with the bagpipes is that they're meant for <laughs> hilltops rather than in a recording studio because you are probably messing everyone in there
3: <laughs> I don't know there's a few punk bands isn't there Dropkick Murphys they must have bagpipes at some point in their band I think so uh... <laughs> I guess I
16: guess another way of answering that question is if if well, we're a free piece because it's easier. We've had uh, we've extra members and things, and things haven't always worked out. But it's easy to travel and it's easy to make gigs. So being free people um, makes life a lot easier for us. But you know, sometimes in an audio world, when you're thinking, oh, that, those keyboards that we overdub, it'd be nice to have them in a live scenario. Or maybe it'd be nice to have the extra guitar. Um, that's probably the, the only thing I can really say about that, really. But it's so much easier just to work with the three of us that, that, that.
3: We're, that happy, we're happy
16: with it that way, yeah. Before yeah. <laughs> having three would be a lot easier than because I'm in an eight-piece band. Wow, with, yeah. So it's been an absolute faff of a lockdown trying to get together to rehearse. I can imagine, to totally, economy.
9: yeah. So you have a new single coming out called um, All Right Lads. Um, what, When is it coming
3: out? What What's the song about? Um, Yeah. So the single is released on Reckless Yes. Um, on the 15th of January and that is part of our album which is self-titled and that's out on the 29th of January the song Alright Lads um, I was inspired by we were in practice one night and well it actually happened a couple of times within like a space of a two week period and I guess a lad type sort of kept barging in first time it was that they didn't speak to me they only spoke to the drummer um, and Jay which are both men and then they ignored me and then the, the time after it was just it was a bit of bravado and, and it just kind of like everything they said kind of resonated with me and I just thought I bet everyone has to deal with all this rubbish and it just kind of came out and originally it was kind of like we'd written a poem as if it was someone sat at a pub kind of say talking to you and giving you all that and then it kind of just ended up developing into a little bit of bit of a song and we recorded a socially distanced video recently so that'll be released um in the lead up after christmas as well
9: so uh, i feel like a lot of songs well i think aspects of it remind me a bit of like old green day um yeah I like that, that reference I, thank you <laughs> yeah okay so the uh, song um you ruin christmas and um, it's a very interesting name and especially for one of your first songs so was there, like a story behind that
3: that that particular song we actually got asked to write a christmas song for a christmas release on Cherryade records, um, yeah. So we were trying to think about um, basically when we got us to write a Christmas song. We were like, okay, what Christmas songs do we love? And we're massive '60s music fans. So we love the Ronettes, the Shanghailars, all those sort of bands and all those sort of girl groups. And one of our favourite christmas albums is the phil Spector christmas album so we were kind of trying to write a nervous twitch version of what they would do and so we kind of were playing them along with the idea of someone getting someone sort of on to go for a breakup at christmas and and we kind of came up with some lyrics that we were we thought were kind of funny in a way so i guess that's kind of where because that's what all the narrative always is in those sort of 60 songs it's always about some sort of breakup and something going wrong and a tragedy, so we kind of thought' bring a tragedy to Christmas and say you ruined Christmas <laughs>
5: what kind of plans have you got for the future uh regarding new music
16: touring gigs that kind of thing
3: we're just hoping we can tour that's my biggest hope, <laughs> but we have got an album that's coming out on the is it uh, twenty nine january um So hopefully this whole pandemic will calm down a bit and we can play some gigs next year. And we've also got recording planned in for the beginning of next year. So we're hopefully starting to write and work on our fifth album. Um so hopefully we can look into working on that next year and maybe getting it released the year after or end of next year, however it pans out.
16: Some of the gigs that we that were cancelled in April are rescheduled for April twenty twenty one pretty good gigs that we're really keen to do so um, hopefully fingers crossed they will go ahead and uh, hopefully we'll get a good reception for the, for the new album when that comes out as well
8: Just before we
9: finish off can you let us know again when your next single is out?
3: So um, our latest single Tongue Tied has already been released um, and that was released on the 13th of November but we can you can look forward to next year our new single Alright Lads coming out on the 15th of January and that'll be um, part of our fourth album, Nervous Twitch, on the 29th of January.
16: And this is our a, a recent single, Tongue Side.
4: listening to Red Kite uh, here on a Friday afternoon we have live from the old uh, fire station at Gipton Tony Macaluso reporting our intrepid reporter are you there Tony
12: I am I am although I'm not at the fire station we are here at the, sort of the little roundabout by the little in Gipton where the Christmas tree is going to be lit in just a few minutes here a few seconds even perhaps so I'm here with Grace Claire Imran Elias, Imran and catherine uh so and we're we're going to count down in just a little bit here so but uh there are a number of christmas trees around Gipton being lit up uh in this time uh so are we ready to count down you think okay so ready to count down here we go five four three two
1: one
12: and anybody wanted to just describe the tree claire so beautiful and it's just like strings of red and white and
7: sparkly blue and green and yellow. It's marvelous, isn't it? It looks lovely.
12: Brightened
7: up the whole roundabout. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely stunning. It's a good sort of point in Gibson as well, you know, high footfall. So really hope residents love it as much as we
12: do. So and the tree will be lit up for the next, all the way through to the holidays January, until the yeah. fifth of January. So if you're at the little roundabout, there it is. and Last, I have Claire going to say just a few words about the Bags of Joy while we're on the radio very quickly. Right. So we have 500 beautiful Bags of Joy that have been created by the Old Fire Station, Space 2, and the East Leaves Project. And if you would like one, it's just got things to make, things to eat, and they're beautiful. Um, uh, Designed by Emma Hardacre, the East Leaves Project artist in residence at the moment. Um, Please do pick up one from the Old Fire Station. On Monday, Tuesday, or Friday, um, the Gipton Methodist Church from 2 to 4 on Wednesday, the 9th, and um, Wednesday, the 16th, and the Church of the Epiphany on Thursday, the 10th, and Thursday, the 17th of December, 2 to 4. Thank you, Claire. So, Elliot's still there, Peter's still there, so it is a dark and drizzly night here in Gipton. Uh, But we have another minute or so. Just going to have one or two more guests say a word or two. Um, Catherine, as the, the vicar from Church of the Epiphany in Gifton, just maybe the importance of light in this season.
7: So it's wonderful to have the Christmas tree shedding light. Christmas is a festival that all sorts of different people celebrate. It's not simply a Christian festival. And the bringing of light, the bringing of hope, the bringing of joy into the world. It's really important at, this, at
4: the moment.
12: Thank you, thank you. So, I think we're ready to go back into the studio, into the Red Kite studio.
4: Okay, Tony, to we've got, got a few people here in our studio. We just want to say hello to you. So, Johan, shout out. Hi. We've got Duaria. Yeah,
7: hi.
4: We've got Saren. Hi. Hi, hi Saren. <laughs> Tony, thanks for joining us. Uh, that was that's a beautiful description. Radio's all about pictures, and we got the picture there of the Christmas tree. Uh, and have a very nice time there, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you from the streets of Gipton. Bye. Bye. So that was Tony Macaluso and friends over in Gipton. Sounds absolutely lovely there. Um, so thank you, Johan, you are Saren so, we had our questions ready to fire at Tony but he was very excited <laughs> so we didn't say that word in edgeways. But I'm going to introduce now the uh, the last feature we have here on Red Kite this evening. Um, I've been working with a group of young writers on a Wednesday evening, fantastic group of writers uh, and we've been doing writing on all sorts of things but we, the last few sessions we've been working on uh, kind of magic and myth so um, we, we wrote some spells. Spells and also we wrote a few pieces of, uh, of, a few poems and pieces, short stories about keys and what keys do, unlocking mysteries. So we're going to hear that now, the young writers, the associate writers with spells and keys.
11: hands have washed in blood too long i cast this spell so lovers may belong to either house and to their families bring a unity through exchange of a ring the golden haired and fairy featured knight will love the brunette lady on first sight and force a conversation never said of why their houses never could be wed and this midsummer night will start it all the two will meet And on this, night will fall. The two will meet. And on this, night will fall.
4: A dash of positivity.
5: A sprinkling of certainty. Mix it with stability. The perfect magic spell A drop of some normality A splash of some reality Make things how they used to be With the perfect magic spell A touch of wisdom here and there Let's take out some of Donald's hair Let's mix it up without a care The perfect magic spell A teaspoonful of nothing to fear A sprinkling of festive cheer For Christmas it will soon be here with the perfect magic spell.
17: Golden flame with golden locks, show me the one who has my heart scorch their path and pave in you. I torch this orange clover just for you. Change our endings, make our journeys intertwine. I burn this 1,000-year-old vine, for I want them to be mine. I burn this 1,000-year-old vine, for I want them to be mine. For I want them to be mine.
11: key sticks in the metal as if the box doesn't want to be opened. A heavy padlock on such a small and light box whispers this, but I turn it until the key moves. The lock doesn't click like a modern one, it sounds hollow and deep like a rock dropped in a well. The lock falls open with a low metallic plank, and the intricately carved box suddenly seems alive although still. Or maybe it isn't still. The woven pattern of wood groans as it moves after thousands of years of sleep, but the worst sounds come from within the box. a growling, pain sound, both too human and not at all. I hardly dare open the box, but that all too natural curiosity takes hold. I lift the lid and regret it even before it opens. I curse the metal still in my hand. This is the key that opened Pandora's box.
17: This is the key to the fairy door and the old oak tree in your garden. Its faded maroon varnish reflects its centuries of being. A small frosted window closely guards its secrets from any wandering eyes. The key is simple by design, albeit with the weight of a hundred stones and grand decorations. Bright burning sapphires circle a large pure white diamond. It is said that looking into that diamond will cure any broken heart. You carefully place the key into its lock, finally reuniting it with its long-lost partner. A loud click can be heard as the pins are slowly moved into place by the key. The first motion of twisting requires much force, but as it twists into the lock like a dagger to the heart, its resistance decreases until it almost feels effortless. A much louder click can be felt as a bolt harshly springs into the door. A pull of the cold brass doorknob reveals what it's been hiding all this time. A shimmering pound coin sitting on a velvet cushion. At first inspection it looks like any other coin, but flipping it to its other side reveals a totally blank head side. You look at it and all you see is your own reflection, but little do you know what tomorrow will bring. You wake up the next day in a totally alien bedroom. Lavish velvet curtains cover the expansive windows. The incredibly soft bed smothers you in its motherly warmth. On top of the mahogany dresser next to your bed, you see the same coin from yesterday sitting face up. But this time your side profile occupies the face of the coin.
14: Okay, that was uh, that was quite lovely, wasn't it? Uh, before we all go, uh, does anyone have any plans for the weekend? I have no
1: clue.
4: Johan, do you have a plan? Uh, I
7: don't know. Maybe play with my friends.
14: Okay. Uh, what about you, Peter?
4: Me, I'm I'm having a quiet weekend. Uh, thanks, Ashton. I'm gonna I'm hopefully gonna go for a walk in the yeah you know, in in the countryside tomorrow, maybe. But apart from that, I'm gonna just be at home with the family. That uh, sounds lovely.
14: Well, uh, uh, before I do something else, yeah, Peter, what's that track coming up again? Sorry.
4: Uh, well, I've I've chosen the last track um, for uh, for Red Kite this afternoon, and it's a Christmas tune. It's called Countdown to Christmas by uh, by my one of my favourite bands. They are called XTC. Uh, but uh, they went for this particular track, they chose a different name. They became the Three Wise Men, I think. <laughs> so uh, it's called Countdown to Christmas.
14: Okay, that sounds uh, very interesting. I'll, uh, I'd just like to say thank you, everyone who's listening today, and uh, that'll be all.